Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you've heard. For more resources like this, check out trptampa.com. Today, I just want to spend the rest of our time here uh, talking about something the Lord showed me. And he really only gave me one line, and I just kind of went and discovered and dug it out, you know, via the scriptures. And when we think about the Christmas story, sometimes we just think about it as a story, and that was great. Obviously, it's important. Every believer knows that's important. You know, that's kind of the whole thing. If Christ doesn't come born of a virgin and, you know, Jesus doesn't come and raise and, and die for us, then we're, we're, there's nothing to celebrate, right? And so it's very important. But I kind of want to turn the corner from just reading it and seeing it and looking at it to what are the implications of us? What is the implication now for us? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what meaneth this for me if? You know what I mean? Like, how, how does that matter to me? Why is that important in my life right now? Amen? So I just, I hope that this time that we've had together over December has just been rich and fruitful for you. We've been talking a lot, and you can uh, watch all our podcasts online on our website, or you can um, get it on iTunes. Uh, Facebook also has all the video and YouTube, so we're all over the place. You can go back and watch this stuff. But we've just been talking about how God in his sovereignty became helpless in order to help us. God sovereignly became helpless to help us. You know, Mary fed God from her breast. Hello? Have you thought about these things? I know if you've been hanging out here, I'm making you think about them. Like, Mary picked up God when he scraped his knee as a little boy. Mary kissed God's boo-boos. Like, God became a boy and lived like all of us. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's true. And so, there. I mean, he grew up as a child. And that, that's amazing to me that God would restrain himself that way. He would become helpless to help us. He would become needy to meet our needs. That's how God works. He gives himself. This is uh, sort of related, but it feels really important. Sometimes things just jump up, and I feel my right ear burning right now. It's okay. I'm giving you my process, whatever. Probably shouldn't because you think I'm out of my mind. But <clears throat> I feel like the Lord is telling me to highlight something right now. And he'll work it out. That you understand, God gave God as a sacrifice for you and I. God in three persons, the Trinity, yes, that's true. Absolutely. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three persons, but one God. Our God is one. Amen. We say things that are true, but they're not true in the way we're saying them. I'm getting into trouble. This should have done, this should happen in first where there's no live stream. But whatever. (laughs) We say things that are true, but they're not true in the way we're saying them. A lot of times. Like this. God sent his son to die. That is a true statement. But the way we apply that and think of that is not true in that God wasn't on the cross. God was on that cross. Yes, God sent his son. It's called a, a term of accommodation. It's accommodating our ability to understand the severity of what it would mean, like a father to give away his son. But Jesus is God. Jesus is the father. He was born a father. God, let me help you. God came and died in the expression of a son. God didn't sacrifice his son, even though that's a true statement. 
Are you following me? This is not for live stream. Whatever. God sacrificed his son in that expression. God became the expression of a son who had a father and died on our behalf as a son of the father. God, in his sovereignty, did not, he was fully God, fully man. He became the expression of a son and died on our behalf. The reason I think I'm saying this <laughs> is there's a, there's a misunderstanding of the nature of God out there because they say, how could God kill his kid? Right? Like, that would be cruel. That would be, no parent would get away with that. Well, he did and he didn't. He came in the expression of a son and died on our behalf. It's important you understand this. This is, here's what I'm saying. Tie a bow on it. Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, then God died for you. As a son. Are you following me? Okay. Let's just set the record straight. That's not my father. That's not my Abba who would sacrifice a child. And yet, he came as a sacrificial lamb. But Jesus is God. In our Western desire to put things in boxes and make it black and white, we think one plus one plus one equals the Trinity. It's not two. Not true. It's one times one times one equals one. That's how you explain the Trinity. They're not adding to one another. They are one another. They're expressions of him. Did you know there's, the se there's seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation? What are you going to do with that in your Trinitarian outlook? <laughs> I'm not anti-Trinity teaching. I'm, not I'm just saying, if you make it something it's not, we get into misunderstandings of the nature and character of God. Because Jesus came to die. He was born to die. And specifically for our implications today, the Lord showed me to talk about how Jesus was born a king who was sent to die. Jesus was born a king. Say he was born a king. Jesus was born a king. He didn't become a king because of what he did. He was born a king because of who he is. Listen to me. He didn't become a king because of what he did. He was born a king because of who he is. He learned obedience through the things he suffered, actually. But that didn't make him a king. This is so important. He didn't become a king by doing anything. He was born a king. Because that's who God is, the king of all kings. Amen? Okay, so we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. I have it on the screens. It's in the Passion Translation. And this is the story of the wise men, the kings that come. And if just to give you a little bit of background on these kings, uh, first of all, there were not three. It says nowhere in the Bible that there were three. It says there were three kinds of gifts. I challenge anyone to tell me, show me the verse that says there were three kings. Not true. There were probably more like 300. I'll explain. These are... The descendants of Daniel, these are the ones who make kings. They're the ones who announce kings. They're the kingmakers. They were what you would, yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. They are the, sometimes Holy Ghost throws a handbrake and I'm so grateful. Uh, they are the ones who would counsel kings and announce kings. They would counsel and announce kings. That's who these people are. Descendants of Daniel. Daniel was the one that had the wisdom of the gods according to the the kings of the day, right? That's all they could say. He was the chief magician, chief of the, get this, magi. Hello? 
Daniel was the chief of the Magi. And here are the Magi, generations later, who have been taught by their grandpappy, grandpappy, grandpappy Daniel to, grandpappy, this is weird, to read the stars and understand the prophecies to see the star of the Messiah coming. They've been trained in this since Daniel. Yeah? Are you okay? All right. And so when they come into Jerusalem, it creates a stir. And we're going to talk about some of the reasons maybe. Okay? So here it is. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests, that's the Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people. Where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Say disturbed when they heard this news. Now, let me ask you something. Would three little men with big tall hats and tiny trinkets cause all of Brandon to be disturbed? Imagine three funny-looking dudes with royal... Just say, we're kings from really far away. Our kingdom is way over there. We came, and we, we saw a star, and we want to find the child who's born the kings of kings. We want to find that child. Do you know where he is? Do you think three guys with funny big hats and little tiny, you know, a piece of gold and tinfoil that they found on the way would disturb anybody with that? It would be a different kind of disturb. Like, you're disturbed. We need to put you in the loony bin. Well, it would not cause an uproar. It wouldn't even make the evening news. Right? Why? Well, what the reason they were disturbed is because there's probably more like 300 of them. And never mind the fact that if you're carrying great treasure, which the, some scholars say just the gold could have funded Jesus' family for 10 years, not even the frankincense, just the gold could have funded them up to 10 years, all their cost of living for 10 years. Think of how much gold that is. If you're carrying that much gold, first of all, it's got to be protected. So you probably have a small army, right? Come on. You're traveling through the deserts of the Middle East. You need a, some type of protective force, right? And if you're a king, you have an entourage. So let's just say for the sake of your churchianity, there are only three kings. There are at least three entourages of the kings and at least three sets of armed forces for the kings to guard all the treasure. Hello? Yeah? Though that mob of craziness walks into Jerusalem and says, where is he? Do you know? Do you know? Where is he? Do you know where? We saw his star. Have you seen? Do you know where he is? They start investigating where the Messiah is. That would cause a disruption. Oh yeah, that's all our gold. Don't look at that. Tell me where the king is. I know this doesn't fit in your nativity scene set. There's too many of them for your mantle place. But it's true. <laughs> king Herod was shaken to the core. And so it says not only him, but Jerusalem was disturbed. And said, it says, so he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and religious scholars demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. He will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him. Because the prophecy states, and you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the sons, the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. 
Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priests from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. Did you hear that? He, Herod got the religious council together to tell them what these guys are causing an uproar about, and then he got them into his courts. Do you understand? That means the news got to the king like, hey, there's these guys. It wasn't even the kings that came to Herod and said, you're no longer going to be king. That's how we paint it out. Like, oh, we're here to tell you you're no longer king, Herod, stinky pants, you know, and you're going to be off seated. No, it wasn't even that. He just heard the rumors, and it caused him to freak out so much that he needed to know, okay, what are the prophecies? What are the prophetic writings? All that stuff. Come on. Are you following? Are you tracking with this? <laughs> okay. And then he secretly summoned the spiritual priests, the Magi from the east, to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, this is Herod talking to the Magi, now go to Bethlehem and carefully look for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. Yeah, right. You know? And so they left. Herod was wicked, by the way, so that's why I'm saying, yeah, right. And so they left, and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star they had seen in the east appeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. Now, in my, the movie of the Bible, in my mind, this is what that looks like. It looks like a shooting star from heaven was, you know, you've seen a shooting star? You see, like, streaking across the sky, lighting up the sky? It just went, it just, like, froze. It was shooting, and it went, bah! that's just the way I see it in my head, you know? And they're like, there it is. There's the star. There's, okay. And so... They, it says it stopped directly over the place where the child was. And then when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. <laughs> Thank you. He said, read it right. I need to. But let me tell you, that's how we tell the story. They shouted for joy. Let's open our presents now and actually shout for joy. <laughs> they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. Not three skinny dudes from a long journey where they were starving. No, these guys are staying at the hill, the Hilton, fat and happy. Kings stay in nice places, all right? They brought enough food for the journey. They got all these treasures. They got all this entourage. They got all these people guarding the money, not just one guy, a few guys at least. And all of them celebrated with unrestrained joy in the streets of Jerusalem. Are you getting a picture of the Christmas story? These guys are like, there it is. That's the one. We found it. There he is. I was asking you where he was. I found it. There he is. Look. 300 of them. I'm trying to preach the gospel to you. It's a lot of effort. <laughs> Unrestra what does unrestrained joy look like? I wish I could get a, a few people just to have a, a few minutes of unrestrained joy. All right, that would be great. Come on. So, unrestrained joy, tons of people celebrating, you know. I don't know how they kept an eye on the food and the money, but maybe there was just so holy that people are like, what are they doing out there? It's crazy. You know, imagine being in Jerusalem and looking out your window and seeing that. Like, what is going on? You know? <laughs> 
So when they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Overcome. Can, can you think about the word overcome? It's not just, oh, that's, that's overwhelming. I feel overcome by that. No, they were like, overcome. Is he ever going to talk again? They were unrestrained joy in the streets. Then they get in the house, and they are overcome. In my mind, since there's all these people, I imagine the kings are in there. You know, maybe all of them. I don't know. It's a small place. I can tell you that. All right. I've been there. Those places are small. All right. So they're all, like, cramming. All the kings are like, let me see him. Let me see him. They're, like, cramming to get in to see a baby. They knew something we need to get. Jesus was born a king. And I'm not talking about Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. I'm talking the king of kings wrapped in flesh in the form of a child. Incredible. I need to make a a pit stop here. Hey, Jimmy, come here. Sorry. It's family business right here. Can you answer that? Thank you. Hallelujah. I just don't care about your opinion, so whatever. (laughs) He's so arrogant. All right. I can hear your thoughts. They're floating in the air. All right. So they were overcome. What would it look like for hundreds of kings to be overcome? Imagine all of the presidents and emperors of the earth overcome by something. Imagine all the rulers of the earth straining to get into one room because some, and they were overcome when they did. Imagine this. Yeah. And it says, falling to the ground at his feet, they worshipped him. Now, do you know where this guy, these, this is happening? This is happening in a mikdal, in the lower room of a mikdal, where they would keep all the sheep and the horses and the donkeys. These kings, fully dressed, fully kingly, fell in all that poop. <laughs> fell on their fa- like they didn't, Mary and Joseph did not know that these this band of kings was coming, all right? They didn't have time to clean up. And pick up all that, you know, sheep poop. We have kings coming today. They didn't know. They and these people are just falling on their face as they come to see a baby. Come on. They worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Afterward, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. They opened their gifts, plural. Their treasure boxes, plural. Now, some scholarly work has been done on this, that in that day and age, if there were just an eight-inch box, eight inches, and it was full of gold coins, it would be more than more money than Mary or Joseph would have seen in a lifetime. Just one box, okay? Just one box. Jesus was not poor. Jesus was born a king. Jesus was a homeless man. I used to say that garbage. Your Bible says he returned to his house in Capernaum. He had a home. He wasn't homeless. He had a home. He bought it. Let me put it this way. Somehow Jesus 
fed and funded the ministry of 12 teenage boys for three and a half years. Now, if you have teenage boys or have met a teenage boy or have ever been a teenage boy, you know how much those boys eat. Twelve of them for three and a half years. I don't remember Jesus ever taking up an offering for his interns. Jesus was self-funded. Let me, I'll just, I'll just grilling up a sacred cow. You know, here we go. Whatever. It's fine. I like steak. It's good. <laughs> Judas was in charge. He was the treasurer. Right? In order to have a treasurer, you have to have treasure. Now, I, I don't know if anyone in here is wealthy enough to need a treasurer to manage their money for them. But if at that point you get to be that, and it's merited, that would mean you got a lot of treasure. There was so much treasure that they couldn't even tell when Judas skimmed off the top and took from the money back. Jesus, it says, he became poor so that we might become rich. It also says he became cursed beyond measure so that we might be blessed. The blessings of Abraham might come to us. So let me ask you something. When was he cursed beyond measure? All 33 years of his life? No. He was cursed beyond measure on the cross. When did he become poor? On the cross. They gambled for his garments. You don't gamble for cheap stuff. They want, it was desirable. This is a rabbi walking around in a seamless robe, and it was nice. I get to think that maybe, you know, people wanted to be around him because he just had nice stuff. I know, I'm kicking in your paradigm a little bit. But I'm doing it on purpose because Jesus was born a king. I ain't never not heard of no broke king. <laughs> a king loses all his money. He loses his kingdom too. Come on. I know. I used to struggle with scarcity and poverty mentality and all this stuff. And I started obeying God and now I'm being prospered. And you, know, and you can get in on it if you want. He actually wants to prosper you. Why? Because there's a new bloodline. He has enacted a, the bloodline of a king on the earth in his coming. Just trying to get you a picture of what a king looks like. So when they give these, these gifts, the gold, gold is a picture of Christ's deity. All right? It's a motif throughout scripture for king. A, a king, only kings have gold. Okay? It's a kingly gift. It's a kingly picture. Frankincense is a picture of holiness. It actually is from the Hebrew word. It means to make white or to be white. Incense that burns white. So purity, holiness, white, you know, without blemish, any of that stuff. Right? That's frankincense. So he's a king with the gold. He's perfectly holy by the frankincense. These are, these are, this is the magi attempting to express his worth. That's what worship is. It's worth-ship. It's you attempting to give God glory according to his worth. That's why we're going to be worshiping forever. Because we will never give him enough and say, yep, that's how worthy you are. It will never end because it's unending. His worth is unending, so our worship will be unending. And their gifts were expressions, attempts to give him his proper worth. Now, you think it was just a couple Gold scraps and a few incense sticks and a little tiny bag of liquid myrrh. 
These are kingmakers finding the king of all kings. And they came to worship. I promise you, they came loaded. Loaded. Myrrh is actually an embalming spice for a dead body. At his birth, they knew he was a king born to die. Myrrh actually means tears from a tree. That's what the word means. It means tears from a tree. I can think of a tree that caused some tears. Why is this important? Because Romans 5, 17 through 21, talking about the bloodline of kings. When Jesus was the born in, on the earth, you, you know you test the DNA of a child by the father, right? Not the mama, by the dad, right? And you, you say, yes, that is your child based on the, the DNA of the father, right? Well, Jesus had the divine nature of Abba. He had the DNA of God. He had the divine nature of his Abba father. Joseph had nothing to do with his birth. Joseph was a foster dad. We honor that. That's awesome. Amen. Good on him. I want to shake his hand when we get on the other side of the veil here. I'm going to do it because that's awesome. To take in the son of God and call him your own and treat him right and love him and raise him. Come on. That's awesome. Right? But Jesus' dad is God. You following me? His DNA, if you tested his blood, you would not find an earthly father. Right? That blood was spilled. That bloodline came and was poured out for you and I. And if you call that blood a covering, I would say, are you crazy? That blood is not a covering. That blood is a cleansing. If it covers you, it has cleansed you. You're not covered in the blood of Jesus, and God can't see your dirtiness on the inside because it's blocked by the blood. Somehow, his omniscience is blocked by his own blood. Somehow, he's unable to know something because there's like this invisibility cloak. No, that's Harry Potter, not the gospel, all right? And you are not covered in something hidden from the wrath of God. You are propitiated. You are completely atoned for. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not just covered in the blood of Jesus. Covered in the blood is a partial gospel. I've been cleansed. All unrighteousness has been removed. I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Because he was born a king. And Romans 5, 17 through 21 says, Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as, help me, king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace? And continue reigning as kings in life. Come on. Reigning as kings in life. Enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all the perfect righteousness that makes us right and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all one man's disobedience brought open the door for all humanity to become sinners so also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him so either Jesus accomplished his mission and you're perfectly right with God and acceptable to him or he did not finish it 
So then, the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet, wherever sin increased, there was more than enough God's grace to triumph all the more. Where there is sin, grace increases. Amen? And listen to this. Just as sin reigned through death, that means everybody died, right? You know, except for like Enoch and Elijah and those guys. A couple exceptions to the rule. They just took their tent with them. I don't know. Anyway, everybody died because of sin. All right? Everybody. Death touched everybody. Just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus, our Lord and Messiah. Born a king, and you are born again a king. You need to get with the program. When you're born again, you're born a king. We're born, we're a royal priesthood, God's chosen people. Listen, there's no room for pride in what I'm preaching right now because you didn't do it to you. Sin is the one that pays a wage. God is the one who gives a gift. God gave a gift of perfect righteousness for all who would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Period. That's all you do. The work of God is to believe in the Son whom he has sent. So today, if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I actually do believe that Jesus is God, that he died and rose again, you have been remade. You have been born again. And listen, you can be deceived into thinking you're that old rotten self, and you will act like what you believe you are. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your behaviors will always follow your beliefs. Always. Behavior is a secondary indicator. Beliefs are the first. What are you believing about you? That's what you'll be living. Whatever you're believing about you is what you'll be living. So what if we believed that Jesus was born a king and introduced a royal bloodline to the earth? What if we believe we've been taken out of the bloodline of the fallen Adam and placed into the bloodline of the risen Adam? What if we believe it's impossible to live in two bloodlines? What if we believe that anything operating from your earthly father is illegal? An intruder. Well, my father, sorry, my father has a clean bill of medical history. Sorry, my father did not struggle with that thing. Sorry, my father didn't uh, actually commit that sin. My father's sinless. That's my inheritance. Sin conquering grace. Jesus introduced a royal bloodline and has invited you into it. All you have to do is say yes to him. That's it. And here's the good news. Many of you have said yes, not even knowing what you were saying yes to. <laughs> you said yes, and now I'm telling you, oh, hey, when you said yes, yeah, you're a co-heir with Christ. You actually inherit all that God has. Faith writes the check on what's in your bank account. You have to believe it's in there to write a check for it. So guess what? If you believe perfect righteousness is in your account, you'll write a check on it. You'll say, yeah, I'm going to spend some of that right now. Temptation comes. You go, no, no, perfect righteousness. Zing. Here's the check. Huh. Oh, um, bill comes. Oh, no, I have faith that God will provide Zzz. provision. Here it comes. Faith writes the check on what you know to be in your bank account. Come on. 
God has called you to be kings reigning in life. That's why I read Romans 5 there. Reigning in life. Why? Because the king of all kings became a child and introduced the possibility of a royal bloodline, a true bloodline on the earth. God looks on the earth and he sees two generations. The generation of the first Adam and the regeneration of the last. Did you hear what I said? God sees two generations. Generation of the first Adam and the regeneration of the last. And by your yes to him, you automatically are put into that new bloodline. You can believe whatever you want, but that's the truth. It's impossible to belong to two fathers. On a cellular level, you have been changed. I'm waiting for the day when science can test the blood of a Christian before and after and find some, some switch that gets flipped. I'm waiting for that day. I believe science is going to do it. These over here, we can tell which ones are Christian by their blood. I'm going to say this and then I'll be done because I just feel like this rowdy, kick your unbelief in the mouth thing rising up in me, whatever. We often have more faith in the devil's power to possess us than in God's power, power to change us. Have you ever seen a uh, possession? Yeah. They change their voice. They make them contort. They change their body. You got all the faith in the world to rebuke that. But receiving the possession of God's holiness, somehow we have a problem with that. I'm possessed by the love of God. Where do you think the devil got the idea? He can't create. He can only pervert. The devil saw Jesus in the form of a baby and went, you can, you can put your, a whole spirit in there? Mm, maybe I'll try that. He heard the prophecies of it coming and tried to pervert it before it happened. He tried to interrupt the bloodline. Oh, I'm in trouble now. I got to stop. I was talking about that. <laughs> can't talk. Ask Scott Smiley about that. If you have problems, his email is S-K-O-T-T at. <laughs> I say that because he'd actually probably have a better answer than me. Anyway, you've been born again through a royal bloodline. The blood of a king runs in your veins. That's what Christmas is the initiation of. Come on. So as you celebrate this one who is born a king, born holy, born to die, let faith rise up that you also have been born again. Never to die because of his death once and for all. Amen? He defeated death. God raised himself from the grave. God didn't need you to go pray for him. He just stood up. It's like, that's enough of a nap. Yep, coming out. So there's a little stone in the way. Boop. <clears throat> Amen. Come on. So when you say Merry Christmas, may it be that there's the joy of God, the strength of God flowing through your very veins. May you be saturated with the truth that you've been infused with the Godhead, whether you like it or not. I can prove it to you. The last time you sinned and liked it was before you said yes to Jesus. Now it hurts. Now you don't like it. Now you feel guilty. What happened? Your nature changed. It's now an unnatural substance. 
It was natural before, but now it's unnatural. Because you hate it and you feel guilty. You could sin like that all you wanted before. Jesus didn't even, didn't even hurt there. Hello? Anybody got a testimony? Come on, I was saved when I was eight. So, I mean, you know. But I know many of you. You tell me, oh, yeah, I used to be able to do whatever I wanted. didn't even, whatever. I did not care. Who I was hurting, didn't care. But now, I said, yes, Jesus, now it, it wrecks my heart. It hurts me. It's bad. That's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. He has come to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. <laughs> come on. He's, he, did you hear what I just said? He's come to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We got the sin and judgment thing all the time. God wants to give you a conviction of your righteousness. <laughs> I'm convicted. I'm convicted, Lord. Let me, I've, I got convicted this week. I'm righteous. <laughs> the Holy Spirit convicted me that I've already been made righteous. It's not what I do that makes me right. I can't do anything to be right. I can't do right to be right. I'm right because of what he did. He came as a baby, lived a perfect life, died the death I should have died, times a million, and then raised himself from the grave. And he offered me that same opportunity to be born a king. When you're born again, you're born a royal priesthood. Born again from his side. Blood and water hits the ground. You are one with the Son of God in your rebirth, period. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you've heard. For more resources like this, check out trptampa.com.